We're in this uh, series where we've been looking at what it is to live by faith. And um, this morning, we're going to open up our Bibles to Genesis. I'm going to throw you off a little bit. Genesis 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 this morning. And then right after that, we're going to jump back into Hebrews 11, as has been our practice. Um, And as you find your place, um, I want you to think with me about the last time your faith was tested. When was the last time that... uh, Your faith was tested in a real and tangible way. And what did you perceive God to be doing in the midst of that test? It's been said a a faith that can't be tested or that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. So this morning I want to talk with you about what God does um, in those moments of refining in our faith. And to do that, we're going to turn to one of the most difficult stories of faith in all of God's word. Um, If there was ever an example of what it looks like to have your faith tested, this is it. You have certainly heard of it before. This is the story of Abraham and the sacrifice of his son, Isaac. And you know that for centuries, this has been one of the most troubling, triggering, bewildering stories in all of the scriptures. And yet, even in this impossible scenario, what I want to show you is that God is doing something far greater than the testing of this man's faith. So let's look at this. Genesis, we're going to read 1 to 14, or 22, 1 to 14, then we'll turn to Hebrews 11, 17 to 22. Let's hear now God's word. So after these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now that you have the story, turn with me to Hebrews. We'll read briefly this summary in Hebrews 11 of what we just read. Hebrews 11, verse 17 to 22. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offering be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. So just imagine, imagine waiting for something your entire life only to have it be taken away from you. In fact, let me get personal. Let's, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper. If God asked you tomorrow to give up one thing that you know deep in your heart would be nearly impossible to give, what would it be? We've been following this story of Abraham for weeks now. And you'll remember from day one, God puts this call in Abraham's life and he promises him a son, right? Abraham was told by the Lord, go to a land that I will show you. And he tells Abraham, with this land, your descendants will be as innumerable as the stars in the sky and as immeasurable as the grains of, the grains of sand on the seashore. Abraham is told by God, all the world is gonna be blessed by you and your offspring. And you'll remember Abraham's son never comes. He waits and he waits his entire life with no answer to this promise. In fact, you'll remember Abraham waited so long for this boy that at one point he just gave up. He and Sarah made, made this own game plan, right? If, if God's not gonna provide, um, I'll have an affair with my maidservant Hagar and she'll give me the boy I deserve. It was a total mess. And yet despite Abraham's mistakes, despite his stumbling in faith in this journey, God still kept his promise. We learned last week just when it was laughable, Abraham and Sarah at their old age have a child. Now here we are just two chapters later in the story and just about the time things are looking settled, God comes to Abraham and look at this in 22 verse one. He says, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. God says, take this boy, your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and there make him a sacrifice. I'll ask it again. Imagine waiting your entire life for something only to have it taken away as soon as it was yours. And I think what makes this story so difficult, right, is it isn't that something's been taken from Abraham. God gives Abraham the conscious choice to give it up. And we know the story, right? We have hindsight. But just think about Abraham in that moment. Who could have seen this coming? Of all things that God had asked of this man in his life, it's now come to this. Of all things that God's asked anyone in the scriptures, this is... Quite audacious. I love how one scholar put it. He said, when God asked Abraham to leave his homeland, he was asked to leave his past behind. But when God asks Abraham to bring Isaac to the altar, now he's messing with the man's future. I mean, let's not sugarcoat this. For centuries, this story has brought on all kinds of questions. And, and I think we should ask him, how does a loving God ask this of someone? 
And who actually in their right mind follows through with that kind of a request? And when you turn to Hebrews, you have to wonder, right, what does this example teach us about faith? I'd say right off the gate, there's three things that, that don't quite add up here. There's three objections, I think, that Abraham could have made right from the get-go as a human hearing from the Lord. The first one is this. Um, God begins this command by calling Abraham by name, right? And remember the significance of what that meant. It meant father of multitudes. Now just consider the irony here, right? God says, hey, father of many. And Abraham says, yes, Lord. He says, I need you to sacrifice your only. That doesn't compute. And secondly, now this is kind of odd. You also notice God names Isaac Abraham's only child. Your one and only son. But that too is quite off, right? Because we know Abraham had two sons. With Hagar, he had Ishmael. With Sarah, he had Isaac. It's almost as if God's reminding him in this one sentence, there's only one legitimate child of the promise and from him is supposed to come the nations, but now I need you to give him up. What? If those two aren't troubling enough though, I think here's the most shocking part, at least for me. It is that God actually acknowledges just how challenging this command is. He says, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, the most precious thing in your life, and give it up. I mean, if I'm Abraham, like, I'm gonna ask some questions first, right? Anybody else? What does Abraham do though? Our passage tells us first thing in the morning, without any hesitation, Abraham wakes up, cuts wood for the burnt offering, saddles his donkey, grabs a few good men, loads up his son Isaac, and heads for the mountain. How'd you like to be Sarah waking up to that one? Where'd my boys go? I mean, what kind of test is this? What is God doing as he's testing this man's faith? Psalm 66, 10 says this. It says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver in the furnace. What is God doing in the, the testing of a man's faith? And specifically, what is God doing here? I think to truly understand what's happening, we, we've got to recognize how Abraham goes about this test because to me, it seems the more that you study this passage and look into it, not everything is quite as it first appears. And two things I want you to notice right off the bat and Abraham's approach to this challenge from the Lord. The first thing I want us to see is this, Abraham clings to the character of God. The way that he walked through this test and honored the Lord was entrusting in who he knew God to be in his life. We're gonna unpack that. The second thing I want you to see though, is that even when this call seemed impossible, the way Abram moves through it is he puts his trust in the assurance of God's promise. It had been years, right, of trial and error, and yet at this point, Abraham's now locked in and trusting God's word. And here's what I want us to see this morning. When Abraham does those two things, when he clings to the character of God and to the assurance of his word, even though he's faced with an unbearable test, that's how he stands firm. So let's just start here. What is the character of God? Brand new believer comes to you and says, tell me, tell me five things about God. Where would you start? What would you say? You know, when, when we're faced with a, a difficult test, and make no mistake, Hebrews and Genesis tell us this is a test. How do you get to the other side? 
It seems to me a good starting place, right, is with the character of who God is to begin there. When I was growing up, we adopted this dog named Sparky. I don't know if I've told you about Sparky or not. Sparky, I think it was a border collie. and Almost immediately, we knew something with Sparky was way off. For some reason, every time we made a loud noise, Sparky would cower in fear. Or if you raised your hand at all, like he would go and run and hide. Growing up in a family of three boys, like that quickly was not working too well. One day my cousin came to visit and he had a baseball cap on. And as he approached the sliding glass door, Sparky lunged at him. I mean, hit the sliding glass door, ready to kill. And that was the last time I saw Sparky. I was told he went to be a sheepdog on a farm. See, but the problem with Sparky, right, was that there was something that happened to him in his past life that now caused him to project all these false assumptions onto every human being he encountered. And the reason I share that is I feel like you and I, we carry the same false ideas about who God is that are often rooted in not who he says he is, but who we think he is based on our broken past. Maybe you had an authority figure in your life who was far too legalistic and So you see in God a tyrant who will never be pleased with you and you'll never add up. Or maybe you grew up in a house where where following Jesus was really about rules and so you see in God a, a disciplinarian and it's hard for you to see his grace. See, but I want you to notice something. The moment Abraham is told this word from the Lord, the way that he processes it, the way that he falls in line with it is that he returns to what he knows about the one giving the command. Hear me out, I'm gonna show you what I mean here. Here's what Abraham knows. He knows from the very beginning, here's my premise, that this God is a good God who's going to save his son. The entire trip, he is secure in who God is despite this command that he's now been called to fall. I'm gonna show you this. Look at how this plays in Genesis 22 verse seven. Isaac and Abraham have made this journey, right? Three days, some 30 miles from where God spoke to Abraham. And they're now on this mountain and they arrive. And Isaac says to his dad, father. Abraham says, here I am, son. Have you noticed that's like Abraham's calling card? And he, somebody names his name. He goes, here I am. I'm gonna practice that with the girls this week. Just anytime they say, dad, I'm gonna go, here I am. So Isaac says, we've got the wood, um, we, we can make the fire. Uh, where's the lamb for the burnt offering though? See, because this is probably not Isaac's first game, like worshiping with his father at the altar, right? He knows the drill. He says, where's, where's the main course for this sacrifice here, Pops? He wants to know, what's, what's the plan? Now that's a tough question, right? Coming from the one who God had just told Abraham to sacrifice. How does it go if... If you can't spot the fool in the room, it might be you. Isaac has no idea, right? But look at how Abraham responds. He doesn't give him the why or the how. Look at this. He says, he responds by declaring the character of God. Abraham says, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, in fact, later he named the place with that exact phrase, the Lord will provide. You know, the many places that we find God's name in the scriptures, it's in this moment that Abraham declares the character of who God is. He clings to it, puts his faith in this God who he knows will supply his every need. 
you're in a crisis of faith, you're trying to figure out how to get through this test, maybe just start here. Here's what I know about God. God provides. Just stop and consider this for a minute. What do you know about God and who he is? We know that we serve a good God, right? That he's a faithful God, that he's a holy God. He's an all-powerful, all-knowing God. We, we know he's a never-changing God. And Abraham, in this moment, he, all of those things are important, but for him in this singular moment, what's important to him is God is my provider, Jehovah Jireh. And he believed this so much, I want you to see this in verse 22. He tells the two servants that had come with them, he says, you stay here with the donkey, we'll be right back. Plural. You stay here, give us a minute, the two of us, me and my son, we're gonna go worship, and we'll both be coming back. That's some kind of faith. My time as a hospital chaplain, I feel like that was the only responsibility I had in the room. Just shut your mouth and remind people in their darkest hour who this God is who's still with them. The next time you find somebody in a crisis or struggling or you're just having a, a typical hard day, try reminding them of God's character. Remind them, hey, I know this is tough. This isn't a surprise to God. Remind them, hey, did you know God is still with you, Emmanuel? Did you know that God is good, that God is sovereign, that he said he's a very present help in your trouble, that he's abounding in steadfast love? How is it that Abraham acts in faith? He relies on the character of God. And sure enough, what happens in verse 13? All the while, this provider God gives Abraham the sacrifice he needs on the altar in place of his son. Angel comes, he says, look behind you, Abram. And there in the thorny bushes, all the while is this ram caught up by its horns. See, I think the more that we understand who God is, the deeper roots we develop in trusting his plan for our life. But as I said, there, there's a second method then that Abraham uses in passing this test. And that is that Abraham is finally at a place in his life, it seems to me, where he puts his assurance in the promise of God. He doesn't just return to God's character, he returns to God's word. And as he looks back over his life, I'm certain Abraham could see all the wrong turns he had taken, right? He knew that every time he slipped, it was a result of failing to trust in who God is and God's promise for him and Sarah. Just try it, try it with me, let's, a little experiment. Look back on your life for a minute and think about the top two or three regrets that you have where you fell into sin. Was it not a result of you losing sight of who God is and what God's word is to you? See, this is crazy though. Abraham's being asked to give up the most precious thing in his life. And I mean, of all things, like this doesn't make sense. So you would think of all the placeholders on Abraham's timeline, this would be the one where he'd say, absolutely not, God. And yet Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us, that he trusted in God's word so much that he considered God was even able to raise his son from the dead. If this goes all the way to the end, he considered that God would see it through because he said he would. That word for considered in Greek, it's logizomai. 
It's where we get the word um, logarithm. It, it means to calculate something. In other words, this is not some blind, dumb uh, exercise of faith that Abraham is flexing here. Abraham is logistically considering all the promises of God that he's fulfilled in his life and who he is. And he has this inward conviction that is flipped on and this persuasion that God's promises will see this through. I'm going to obey. People ask all the time at this story, how does a good God ask for such a thing? But if you really look at this story in the context, you get a picture of what God's doing here. That in the testing of Abram's faith, suddenly Abraham's faith comes alive. That's what God's doing, right? He's showing him, your faith is real. But I think we have to make something clear before we get through this sermon. And that is that God hates child sacrifice. Throughout history, there's all kinds of cultures and religions that have practiced this evil, right? The Aztecs, Incas. In fact, God's word tells us that the Ammonites were in the land doing this very thing, making sacrifice of their children to the Lord. And in Leviticus 20, God names this practice as punishable by death. So we still have to answer the question, why would God ask Abraham of all people to sacrifice his son, the one in whom he loved, his one and only to the Lord? I mean, would you ever, in your wildest nightmares, put that kind of burden on anyone? It's unfathomable. Again, I'll say it a third time. Don't sugarcoat this story. If we do, we lose sight of what God's doing here. Because in Abraham's testing, we find something significant about our faith. Just wrestle with me. Ponder these words. I want you to take your son, your one and only son whom you love, and put him on the altar. That's scandalous. And I asked you at the beginning of our time this morning, to, what is the one thing in your life that you would find impossible to give up? Man, I tell you what, it's my kids, right? It's the one thing that I love so much, that, that would be the idol I would, I would never wanna give up. But listen to this. Maybe this is the point. Maybe this is the entire point of this faith story. Maybe the question isn't, why would God allow this, as one scholar said, because ultimately he didn't. Maybe the question is, what is God trying to teach us through this? And here's the lesson. I'm convinced of this. This story foreshadows, without a doubt, it foreshadows what God is going to do for the world through his son. Just about the time we think how messed up this would be that God would ask this of this man, Abraham. Ponder those words with me. This is what God does for us in his son. My one and only son in whom I love. Just consider the parallels. A father declaring his love for his son, his one and only son, the baptism is Christ. And just like Isaac, Jesus carries a stack of wood up a hill for the sacrifice. And just like Isaac, Jesus talks with the father about the sacrifice. Is there any way for this cup to pass? There has to be another way. And just like the ram in the bushes, right? Caught up in the thorns. They put thorns on Jesus' head for him to take the sacrifice. It's the same story all the way to the end, except for unlike Isaac, who travels back down the mountain with his father, Jesus never comes down that hill. Not until he takes his last breath and pays the ultimate sacrifice 
for you and me. See, Abraham puts his faith in the character of God, who he knows God to be, and the promises of his word. And Hebrews tells us that faith then trickled down to every generation after him, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. And in the testing of his faith, we find the promise of Jesus Christ to the world. Two questions I want us to ponder this week, particularly if you find yourself in that testing of your faith. One, who do you believe God to be? And does that line up with who he actually says he is? And two, the next time you find yourself struggling to obey a difficult command in God's word, do you return to the promises and put your trust in the promises that he's made for you in Christ? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, not just a ram for Abraham, but a son for us. That should change the way we live this week. Let me, let me pray for us. God, we ask you this morning, Lord, to help us to return to who you are. God, we just confess and we lay down the falsehoods that we, that we place upon you, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to return to your word and to remember your character. And God, from that character, we, we pray that you would help us to trust in your word to us, Lord, even when it calls us to, to challenging things. God, we just wanna say aloud that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the one that provides. And Lord, you ultimately provided your son, your one and only son in whom you love. So God, as we cling to that promise and we cling to that word and that fulfillment, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be obedient to the rest of your word. Come what may, Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.